Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Club Cricket Podcast, which is on debut. Uh, with me, Rich Evans, the club cricket editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and long-time grassroots skipper. And um, we're going to be discussing the joys of a new season, club cricket's volunteer problem, and how we can get more young players involved in the running and structuring of the grassroots game. Joining me today, I'm delighted to say, is Simon Proger, the Managing Director of the National Cricket Conference and Watford Town's Chairman. Uh, good to see you, Proj. Cheers, Rich. Thank you very much for having me. I know you uh, you rarely sort of don those whites these days, but what are your overriding... Never, actually. Okay, never. <laughs> what are your overriding emotions as we enter a new campaign? Uh... I love this time of the year, the the anticipation of, of playing your first competitive match of the season, um, looking around your you know, your your league landscape, seeing you know who are the movers and shakers, who the new players are, who the overseas players are that are coming into various clubs. Huge amount of anticipation, and certainly when I was playing, yeah, you know, this was a this was a wonderful sort of moment for me, just immediately before the first game of the season and all the old realities suddenly hit again yep. in the fourth over of the first match of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Prods, just tell our listeners what the National Cricket Conference stands for and what it's trying to achieve. It stands to represent club cricket up and down the country in one short statement. Um, we're part funded by the ECB. We came into existence in 2014 and the creators of the National Cricket Conference were three regional conferences, the Club Cricket Conference here in the south, of which I'm a part, the Midlands Club Cricket Conference and the League Cricket Conference for, from up north. Uh, and in discussions with ECB, um, it was felt at the time that through a merging of the interests and activities of those three independent conferences, there might be a, a, a useful service that could help support and manage recreational cricket through the clubs of the country. Um, since since we started, we've now added a fourth management partner in the National Asian Cricket Council, which was created by the 
Club Create Conference in the first instance, and that has been fully funded up until this point through, you know, through the conference. Um, and moving forward, uh, the NCC um, will work with the ECB on, on sort of national rollout projects all within the realm of club cricket and supporting the game and sustaining it and trying to develop um, participation. And it will also work to support any of the deliveries that county boards are committed to through their contracts with ECB. We are not in any way competitive with county boards. We are utterly complementary and we are available to them to help if they have specific areas of challenge or lack of resource that enables them to, to effectively cover some of the mandatory issues that, 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 you know, that they are duty-bound with the ECB to fulfil. One of the things I'm keen to talk to you about today is basically club cricket's volunteer uh, problem at the moment, which was the topic of the previous club debate in Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Um, I guess most clubs are run by a weary few, and it is really quite difficult to get younger people on the committee. I mean, how how critical do you think this issue is in the club game? Very. Um, you know, I was one of your sound biters for that article course, in the last yeah. in the last issue, and I think I said there that you know, for the sake of the future of the game, it is absolutely essential that we find a way of getting young people involved in the management of their clubs sooner rather than later in their cricketing journey. Uh, and I absolutely stand by that. Um, it's a real challenge. Uh, we at Watford made a commitment two years ago to give two committee berths to young cricketers representing both the youth section of the club but also the transient section the yeah. 16 to 20 year olds um, to try and get younger people involved in our committee because I think our committee otherwise is pretty archetypal of very very many clubs you know we're all over 50 um, our best cricket was is way behind us some of us don't play anymore some of us aren't at the club every weekend to see what's going on and, you know, we're all doing our bit and volunteering and offering time for free to, to help support the club. But And whilst we might be, you know, doing our level best to represent the club, we might be misrepresenting it, not deliberately, but by dint of the fact that we don't have a close enough connection to the players. Mm. And I, so I think it's absolutely essential. That the current players have to be the people that shape the game that they play. Yeah. It's as simple as that to me. So I know the the most recent NCC committee meeting as well. You spoke about this issue of in terms of the age of the current committees that are running the game. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. And it was a bit of an eye opener for me, Rich, because I had sort of assumed that being affected by the London factor, mm. the issues that that I am experiencing and the issues that I hear anecdotally being sort of replicated club to club around our part of the world might be, you know, uh, colloquial. But <clears throat> when someone like Chris West, who's the chairman of the Yorkshire County Cricket Board, he's also mm -hmm. you know, involved with his club and, and he's also chairman of a league up there, when he says that he feels the biggest issue in participation at the moment is getting volunteers to help run club cricket, yeah. you sort of come to realise that, um, that this, is, you know, this, is a, this is a national issue rather than a colloquial one. And I, and I think I said to you um, that just as a marker, um, 
the uh, you know the age the average age of, of of the Cheshire County Board, as was told to me by one of its members, was was well over seventy. Mm. Um, and and certainly with Midlands Club Cricket Conference, which sadly is 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 waning. Um, you know their their treasurer is is ninety years old, and uh, <laughs> you know he hasn't seen a club game of cricket for mm. you know for decades probably. Um, so I think there is a, a, a real issue, but I, I also think that it's really important we don't start looking at it and start apportioning culpability because that's not what this is, what this is about. Yeah, 100%. I mean, obviously, we owe these dedicated people so much, don't we, the club game? And it would also, we'd be in dire straits if all these guys were to leave straight away. It's not, it's not about replacing them as such. It's basically trying to give them some help and trying to give the current players a voice but of course, it all comes down comes down to time. But as you say, we're not trying to apportion blame. But how do we how do we get out of this situation? What are we supposed to do about it? I mean, is is that a question that you're asking me as a club chairman, or a question that you're asking the game? Well, the game, of course. Yeah. Um, it's well, the answer is not an easy one if you look at it on on the broadest perspective. Um, there's a very there is a simple reality which is that that um young participants of the club game want to play but don't feel that they are time rich enough to be yeah. able to do much more than that now that might sound like a bland and crass generalization but but I don't think it's a million miles off the mark obviously there're going to be pockets where yeah which disprove that and there'll be motivated young people that are keen to be involved um but but we need that to be the norm and i don't get the sense that it is at the moment within Mm -hmm. within the club world i get the sense that that club committees are dominated by ex-players veterans um in some instances parents of juniors that have come in and become part of the club um but I don't get the sense that, that the players of, of, of clubs themselves are effectively represented, even though there might be a committee place made available for the club captain. Mm-hmm. Or that position is being taken up meeting by meeting and a commitment to you know, to represent the voice of the players is, is, is being made constantly available to, to the, their committee. So you think it, it is fair enough to infer that the people who basically govern the grassroots game, whether it's on league committees, on club committees, you know, they don't necessarily listen to the players' voice. Do you think that basically the players are getting their views across in these important discussions at a league AGM, for instance? Yeah, it, it's not right to say that people aren't listening to the players. Mm-hmm. It, it's more appropriate to suggest by dint of who they are, Yeah committee members whether it's within a club or on a league committee are not necessarily the pulse of the game that's played today yeah. within the various formats of the league and i think that that is a fairer sort of uh, reflection it's not difficult for players to make their feelings known mm-hmm. you know it's not difficult for players to find representation and if they felt sufficiently motivated to do so, they would. Yeah, you know, that, again, that's, uh, that's just come across as a crass statement. But, mm-hmm. but there is this disconnect, mm-hmm. both within a club and, I think, at, at league level in many instances. Um, you know, when we talk about formats of games and things like this, how much are the players being, you know, being engaged with in terms of the, the preference of format? Mm-hmm. Um, this was a 
subject of uh, you know topic of, of one of your previous sort of pieces in in the club scene as, as well, wasn't it? A few months ago, and off the back of that, within our representative cricket program within at the conference, mm-hmm. I straw polled all the players on our roster, 180 players, about what you know in an ideal world, what form of cricket would they choose to play, and do they feel that they have enough say in determining what you know what that format of cricket should mm. be the the response from the respondents and it was about 50 percent so not a bad sort of sort of um, base um almost all of them said they didn't feel they had enough of a say in determining what form of cricket they played and the the, the favorite format of, of league cricket on a saturday came out as 50 50 yeah 50 over cricket win lose in right. colored clothing with a white ball or a pink ball mm. so that beat the, the you know the Premier League split of timed cricket and fifty over cricket. It yep. beat T Twenty cricket. It beat every other form of cricket. Fifty fifty, mm-hmm. win lose, coving white ball. But it's fair to say that that wouldn't necessarily be echoed throughout. You know, towards the bottom end of the pyramid. Absolutely right, because you know, and this is where that straw poll is not. You know, was 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 never intended to be a genuine reflection of your mm. standard club cricketer. All these cricketers are playing representative cricket, so they're all first-team cricketers in their clubs. And I would contend that most players that are playing first-team, first-eleven cricket within a league system are trying to play the best cricket they can competitively and the format that is closest to a list A format in, in the professional game. I mean, my chairman also said recently that you really do need significant life skills in order to fulfil a kind of high-end committee position for a big club. I mean, is that something you agree with? Yeah, 100%. Um, that, that isn't at the expense of trying to get younger people of in. Of course, yeah. But, 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 you know, we are running quasi-businesses, you know, and we have all of the social and, and uh, legal considerations around mm-hmm running small businesses or social enterprises. Um, so there are serious matters that have to be considered by people that represent the club. Mm. Um, and yes, there are things that you can only learn through a process of time. Um, but, but, you know, and you can, un- you can quite understand why potential liabilities as being part of a committee of a cricket club turn people off. It is, it's, it's, a, it's part of the real challenges of finding volunteers in in recreational sport now not just our game but 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 others as well so you can understand why there's you know young people out there who you know maybe trying to forge a career or whatever and maybe they're starting a family life that they simply don't have the time to put towards their creek club the kind of time that the creek club needs in order to function i can empathize with the argument i would probably suggest that if you really felt committed you would be able to find the time because we can all make time mm-hmm. uh, and we can all prioritize what time we have to some degree um but there's no question that that you know the you know the generation that are you know the 18 to 35 year olds of today feel more time poor than probably i felt at the same age 20 years ago mm-hmm. um and Obviously, their yeah, perspectives are different today. Um, social life is, is is different, and um, you know, and that's reflected by by you know by the younger sort of generation that are they're in recreational sport now. 
So, I mean, another related argument is, is it becoming too, almost too difficult to run a cricket club with the amount of administration involved? Uh, it's becoming more complicated. I think that is undeniably true. There are more lines of bureaucracy that need to be crossed. Um, there are more constraints uh, and sort of more requirements and, and legislative expe expectations of clubs than there ever used to be. Um, you know, whether it's DBS checking for everyone from your first team captain down to your welfare officer and then on through to the coaches or, mm -hmm. or, or, or whether it's club marking and the, you know, the, yeah, the never ending sort of commentary around what, what value that genuinely has or, or, or otherwise. Um, clubs are having to do a huge amount of work um, just to be viable and to be affiliated. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, that is having an effect. There's no question about that. I mean, does something have to give in the next few years? Is it, you know, is it unreasonable the amount of work that's required in order to run these clubs and also to run these leagues as well? That's a really difficult question to answer because social behaviour and exposure, when we talk about, for example, the most obvious, which is junior sport mm -hmm. and the exposure to, of young, young people to adults, yeah. you know, there is, a, there is a dialogue within our social order today that suggests that we have to do everything we possibly can to protect young people um, from potential danger. Mm -hmm. So... You cannot criticise any efforts to ensure a safe environment. And, yeah. uh, so you, you have to be very careful around this. Um, so do you see that aspect, the kind of safeguarding aspect, as the main chunk of work for a, for a cricket club? I, th I think it's a very... It's a, for those that are running junior sections, it's a very significant part of, of, of running a club, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But you go to... The, yeah, your your pre-season league meetings. We, you know, the Hertfordshire League had had won a couple of their captains' meeting a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, you know, even in terms of match day, things are becoming more and more onerous. The number of reports, the time by which reports and, and results have to be submitted, you know, you're building up a volume of of extra tasks that, um, yeah, that some people are beginning to struggle to manage, uh, and it, that's just on top of everything else around you know around club activity um so a captain a captain on a saturday now needs to be very certain needs to be very precise about who he's got playing in his team what age they are what mm -hmm. what, what they're able to do in the game situation determined by their age um, you know there's an awful lot that they have to pass on to the umpires or the officials or it, it's a complicated process these days there's no question about it so in terms of the level of kind of administration involved, do you, th do you think that's something that has increased quite rapidly in recent years? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, look, when I was in my 20s, I, I had no great desire to be on the committee of, of, of my cricket club. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to rock up, play, play at every opportunity. I expected things to be... <laughs> to be on point you know someone else had done all the work the groundsman had prepared the wicket the bar was <laughs> good and all I needed to do is put put the whites on go out there and smash the ball around hopefully um so I get it um that that you know that young people for example being involved in the running and the management of the club is a challenge uh, and I also get it on the premise that 
existing and long-term volunteers are also finding it increasingly challenging and because because we are having to do more to be effective in running our club we are having to justify ourselves in different ways um and and you know there are commitments legal and otherwise that that we now need to fulfill as a club that didn't exist 20 years ago it's as Mm. simple as that so how important do you think it is for a cricket club to have club mark status (laughs) um i'm i'm laughing because um i have to wear two hats (laughs) (laughs) I, i have a you know I have a uh, I have an engagement with the ECB, mm-hmm. the, the mother of Club Mark in in cricket, um, and I'm also the chairman of a cricket club that whose committee feels that it is entirely unnecessary, and that if right. you were very effective in running your club and looking after your your, mm-hmm. your housekeeping and you're looking after your your welfare considerations effectively and properly, that that Club Mark isn't necessary, and that having it doesn't gain you anything. So, I mean, do you think perhaps the ECB could be doing more things to kind of ease the burden on cricket clubs at the moment? Or, or is all of the stuff that clubs have to do right now in order to achieve club mark status, are they all necessary? Well, what I do think might be useful is to have a bit of a moratorium uh, on this in terms of what is it and, and why is it that the ECB makes the stipulations that it does. And what else other than those are also brought into play by county boards or by leagues mm-hmm. or, or, or by by other parties? Because I think there is a little bit of a miasma and I think maybe there is a bit of overload. But trying to identify what is utterly essential and, and what actually could be relaxed a bit, I think, might be a sensible thing for us to, you know, mm. to all do. I get the sense. I, what I, I would not be critical of the ECB in terms of um, their their legislations because their legislations are trying to represent and reflect the laws of the land to a very large extent, particularly around junior engagement and, yep. and things like this. So, uh, you know, per se, it's not right simply to point a finger and say you course, ECB yeah. are making it impossible for us to run our club. But I do think there's quite a lot of baggage mm. within that whole environment sort of born out of yeah know, a club like yours and mine you know has to be a member of the league has to be affiliated to the county board mm-hmm. county board or the league say you have to be club marked or or, or or whatever you know and is all of this noise is it all really necessary question mark mm. i mean even things like signing overseas players these days it's such a headache, isn't it, for a club? It's and and the the the, the potential penalties are extreme to to the chairman. You know, ultimately, Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, but again, um, and NCC's had some direct involvement in this whole process because it submitted a paper to the ECB to help um, form the opinion of. ECB and cricket towards um, the Home Office because these stipulations are first and foremost coming from from government agencies and ministries, not from the ECB themselves. Um, you know, so we've got to be careful again about about sort of if people are looking to blame anyone. You know, let's not casually just blame it at the governing body, of course, um, or point it at the governing body. Um, 
but it is it is complicated mm -hmm. and you know to be honest unless you're blatantly you're not blatantly but bringing someone in on a tier five um Mm -hmm. It can be very complicated at any other stage. Tier five, at least, is clear and cut. You know, it's a professional player coming in and giving, being paid to you know to, to fulfil duties or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it, yes, and it is. You know, there is some sort of there. there you know, there is some evidence that that there are fewer overseas players playing club cricket this season than mm -hmm. there were two years ago so maybe it is beginning to have an effect in terms of in terms of attitudes towards overseas players mm -hmm. you know within some clubs I mean do you feel that most clubs believe there's enough of a support network out there if they're struggling to deal with these kind of issues that's a very interesting one um, a lot of clubs might actually not know where to look uh, to seek the advice that they feel they need. Um, and I suppose to some degree, that's where NCC can be supportive and helpful. We have a massive network of, of clubs, of experiences. Um, but also, we we actually do know yeah, where some very good support can be found. And actually, the ECB, through, through yeah, their club support program, actually have a huge archive of information historical uh, data on you know on things that affect club life um and being able to identify you know the kind of information you need mm. is about being pointed in the right direction to to a large extent we find we offer an advisory service to to clubs so clubs can email in and just to say look we've been around for 125 years the council suddenly decided to put a new building you know housing development on you know our southern boundary and uh you know what what potential effect is this going to have on the club and how can we fight it because of the membership that we have the club cricket conference has around a thousand clubs that are either direct members or affiliated members of it in the south of england we will inevitably find a club that's gone through an experience that, it, that and they can share their you know their experiences with you know with another club um so I do think it is, you know, it's funny in 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 my club world with my chairman of Watford Town Cricket Club yeah. cap on, I often feel that I'm dealing with unique issues and no one else can possibly understand them. <laughs> <laughs> and Watford Town Cricket Club is a bubble, uh, and I, I think that an awful lot of cricket clubs and mm -hmm. the leaders of those clubs feel in a similar way that this is our bubble, you know. Um, you know, this is what motivates me. I want to protect the interests of you know, of, uh, of my cricket club, and we get wrapped very wrapped up in you know our immediate surroundings, and and can actually easily lose sight of of you know what's good for cricket in the community, or or how can we get answers? You know, who do we go to to find answers to the challenges that we're getting at the moment that we're experiencing at the moment? So yeah, I think I think that that's a common concern i think within within the club game club by club what do you think are the kind of main main talking points main questions that club cricket needs to answer in 2019 i mean for instance format and time is obviously something that continues to rage on debates continue to rage on do you think we're gonna at the end of this season have any more idea in terms of what formats we, sh we should be playing at what level uh, i'm not sure about that i do know that it will continue to be a major discussion point i think format 
you know, year on year now for the best part of 10 years, we've been seeing around the country a revision of formats to the to the game uh, that's being played at, at recreational level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you, you won't have been playing probably when, when the ECB leagues were first set up. But when they were, Kent were the only Premier League in the country that decided to play two-day cricket across two weekends. That was jettisoned after two or three years because it was just impossible to get the same sides out on mm. two consecutive Saturdays. It was mm. causing real problems. The weather was getting in the way. So they went to the split between timed and 50 over and have now gone to 50-50 win-lose exclusively. So they've pretty mm-hmm. much travelled the gamut in terms of their Saturday league cricket of the formats that that you know, that could be played. Um, and I think that... Um, yeah, this are uh, this debate. It's not an argument, but this debate will will continue without a shadow of a doubt. It will continue not just in terms of the league cricket on a Saturday, yeah, but how we can revitalise Sunday cricket, which you and I have discussed previously. Um, how relevant is T Twenty to the club game? Well, evidence is suggesting it's becoming more and more mm-hmm. a feature. Um, and and so I think format is going to be a big discussion point ongoing within the Hertfordshire League and we share the same league your your club and mine um, we already have this sort of re- at the lower end of the league pyramid the regionalization of leagues uh, and within or divisions within leagues and the, and a reduced over format of the game to try and encourage as many people to to participate week in week out as possible very sensible really sensible yep thing to have done and I applaud the Hearts I applaud the Hearts League committee for having taken that on board mm-hmm. you know last season or the season before I still think there's a bit of work that that needs to be done around it but I think this is an issue again that that, that is a national consideration um, we have seen around the country leagues restructuring obviously the home counties league which incorporated the Hertfordshire league up until four years ago mm-hmm. broke up because of the distances and the size of the league and you know what that meant in terms of the quality of teams that were being put out, um, and I think you know there are clubs further down the you know, the pyramid that are beginning to determine for themselves what is going to best represent their interests in terms of sustaining themselves as a community club, as a village club, or as a cricket club serving mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a, a, a specific environment. So you know you will you may well see junior leagues and then there's some that continue like the new forest league which have been going for a long time the the lanson league in in surrey that are very localized and they survive and survive well uh with clubs that have no desire to be part of a promotional program um and and play a type of cricket that that is unique to them so can you see a situation where we're predominantly across the land playing 40 over, 45 over, 50 over cricket or all day cricket with lunch and tea on a Saturday and Sunday is going to mainly be T20, possibly the 100 in a few years' time. Well, shall we leave the 100 out of it for the moment? Let's do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that's very open-ended. No one knows. Of what course it is. I mean, they're obviously, they're obviously trialling it in Warwickshire yeah. this year. So that'll be interesting to see how that how that fares. But yeah, I guess for most leagues cross country, we're looking at T Twenty mainly on a on a Sunday. Yeah, I do you think, think that would be a fair enough divide? And and if so, can you see a situation over the next few years where 
your kind of short form cricket is almost competing against your longer form cricket on a Saturday. And can there only be one winner in the long term? I'm not convinced of that. I, I think club cricket has been very creative for a very long time, decades and decades. You know, it mm-hmm. was the club game that created this midweek evening thing that has become T20 in the elite environment of cricket. 14 eight ball over competitions were being run within towns, often sponsored by the local newspaper, way before league cricket started in the early 70s in this part of the world. Um, and I think also that, that, that there is a regional perspective on all of this. You know, the, the struggles for Sunday cricket that, that seem to be evident down in our part of the world mm-hmm. are not as evident up in the northwest or the northeast, where yeah. Sunday cricket is still vibrant. They play a lot more cup cricket uh, mm-hmm. up, up, up in sort of Yorkshire and, and Durham. And, and, and so Sunday cricket has, has been sustainable to a large extent. Midlands would say that they are struggling to sustain decent Sunday cricket and the South, the evidence is clear that, that clubs are not fully sweating their assets across the whole weekend anymore in the way that we once did. Um, so I think depending on where you come from, you, know, you might get different answers on this. But as a bottom line comment, uh, representing a club that does play Sunday league cricket, albeit with a development side and only one side. Um, if T20 encouraged, was the format of game that encouraged more people to play and that meant you could guarantee cricket on a Sunday every Sunday of the season, yeah. I'd be all for it personally. Uh, because for me, it's about getting cricket played, having people engaged on a regular basis, wanting to play the game. Um, and if if T20 is the answer, I have absolutely no problem with that. It was quite interesting, wasn't it, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, when Harry Gurney got involved in the debates. <laughs> and he basically said, you know, all club cricket should be T20, possibly the 100. Um, and obviously, for, for you and I, we kind of look at that and think, hang on, that's that's not quite right. You know, we love the longer form game. However... It was quite surprising almost to see quite a split opinion in that debate. There was obviously a lot of people that said, hang on a minute, that's not cricket. You know, what about the young players getting their development? How are they going to improve their game if they're only batting for a couple of overs, bowling a few overs? But there was just as many people I felt on that thread that were saying, actually, you're onto something there because it's not realistic for me to spend a whole day, you know, playing this sport. Again, I think that the club game has it within it to be able to represent the participants and the cricket they choose to play. Mm -hmm. I I would suggest, Rich, that anybody, pretty much anybody that's playing first and second 11 club cricket of a level would want to be playing a form of the cricket that gives them the biggest opportunity of engagement personally in the game. Yeah. Okay, so the longer form of the game, 50 over or whatever, is probably the cricket that they would prefer. Uh, Because despite the fact that they're being amateurs, um, they still want to be able to measure themselves. They still want to be able to gauge their ability as a cricketer. And they still want to feel that they're competing against the best players within the amateur environment as a general rule. 
and obviously you know if you're playing in the you know in your club first team and you're a number five bat or number six bat or your first change bowler or a spinner mm -hmm. you want enough time within the game to enable you to be a contributor rather than just a bystander so i i, I do think the debate actually is about more about ensuring that the club scene can provide for different forms of the game effectively rather than determining one form over another what about start time do you think there's any kind of consensus there no mm. <laughs> to in short um and i know that you're asking that question off the back of something that you wrote last month or in in in, in the may issue of the of of the magazine so let's just say if 1 p.m is the kind of normal time that you would start a 40 over 45 50 over match would the majority of people prefer to have their mornings available or their evenings available that could be a generational thing couldn't it mm. um i think youngsters playing the game would want their evenings free yeah uh, i think the older ones that have been steeped in the the club game probably write off their saturday evenings for the club and yep. that's where they do their socializing so i don't think it's an issue for them what might be an issue is playing the right format of the game for a start time so if you designate a 1 p.m start time mm -hmm. certainly further down the leagues with the lower 11s in in clubs you know playing 40 over win yep. lose for example you know would take 20 overs out of a game typically that their first team might be playing allow them to to finish suitably early to you know to allow the youngsters to uh, to go off and have their social lives outside of cricket. So, Prod, just just tell me a little bit about how how the club game has changed during the time from when you started playing Ooh. to now. What are the major differences? Well, when I started <laughs> when I started playing, <laughs> I'm 59. Uh, when I started playing club cricket. Leagues hadn't started yet mm -hmm. in in the home counties. There were no leagues. It was all friendly cricket. And I started playing for my local club's first team when I was 12. Um, so I have seen pretty much everything that, that has affected the club scene you know, directly as a participant, you know, from, you know, from 1970, 71 onwards, I suppose. Um, and it it is massively different. There is no question about it you know the whole environment of club cricket now is 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 hugely adjusted from from back in you know back in the early days um some of it for the good some of it not so um you know we probably have significantly fewer cricket clubs today than there were back in those days works cricket has almost completely disappeared and yet that used to be hugely vibrant and very relevant to the cricket environment in mm -hmm. certain communities particularly the cities and urban communities um leagues <coughs> back in the day there was no promotion no promotion relegation mm -hmm. you you know a group of when the essex sort of league was first structured it was a group of teams clubs that got together and say right we're going to create this upper tier league and then that was done and it was a closed shop and then other teams that weren't in that created their own league and that's pretty much what happened all around you know all around the counties um we were not as we did not perceive ourselves as time time poor um i used to my my weekends across the year were cricket saturday and sunday from april to the end of september hockey saturday sunday from end of september to end of march 
and no weekends off and that was the norm and it wasn't me it was many of us you know our Sunday cricket team was the Saturday first team with mm -hmm. a couple of others maybe but if you had three changes it was a surprise um, so we all committed to playing Saturday Sundays um, and we all committed to drinking very heavily on the Saturday night as well so mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it is hugely different now and of course, you know, it, 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 for, for very many different reasons. I mean, you know, our, our communities are different. You know, you know, when I was, you know, when I was playing at, at Hoddesdon, we didn't have uh, any obvious ethnic community, you know, within our environment. That has changed. Watford now is our club is hugely reflective of the the broad band of our. Yeah, of our community culture, mm -hmm. um, and so that brings with it different dynamics as well. Um, so yeah, the the game is hugely different, and of course, most importantly, because everything has to be labelled in the current in the in the in in the modern world, we've had to define and justify what amateur league cricket is, and yeah, this is where I have some frustrations and concerns because you know it tends to be forgotten that. Over ninety nine percent of participants in cricket mm -hmm. are playing the recreational form of the game, yep. and that recreational cricket should be celebrated in its own right for all that it is. It should not be seen as part of a pathway to something else that less than one percent of people get to play, mm -hmm. um, and shouldn't be justified on that basis either. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes I think we, you know, we 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 get it a little bit wrong in terms of how we apply our priorities to the game and where the funding goes. For example, I think that far more funding should have been provided for the grassroots game to help yeah. develop clubs, um, where over ninety nine percent, as I say, of the participation of this great game is is mm. is, is fulfilled. Well, something obviously that Wisdom.com, Wisdom Cricket Monthly, we're very passionate about the grassroots game. We feel it it is really important to be Given handing the mic over to these players who are playing the recreational game and involved in the running and structuring of it. Right, a news of a competition. Uh, we're giving away a net and pole kit from Cricket Net manufacturers Huck, and you can shop their equipment at huck-net.co.uk. And to enter, please visit, please visit our Twitter page at Wisdom Cricket for more information. Proj, before you leave us, just a little bit on the work you do with the East Africa Character Development Trust. Um, very kind of you to ask. Thank you, Rich. It is a charity programme, a UK-registered charity, that uses cricket to deliver character education and life skills development to disadvantaged young people in Kenya. About six years ago, five or six of us that have had a long association with the country, um, whether I was born there, but... but that all of us had either been born or lived there or worked there or experienced cricket there, mm -hmm. um, decided that we, of an age, that we wanted to try and put something back um, <clears throat> into the country, a country that we deeply love. As of today, um, we work with 4,500 young children from the slum communities of Nairobi every single week of the year, helping develop their character and providing them with the essential life tools to meet the challenges, the extreme challenges of daily life. And so hopefully help them, instill in them a self-belief that they can rise above the environment they were born into. And it is having some tangibly remarkable results, even at this early stage. Attendance at schools has gone up. 
exam performances have gone up quite considerably, often by over 10%, which is huge. Bullies are being turned into leaders. Um, yeah, we are seeing some very, very tangible results as a consequence of what we're doing. Yeah. It's very special. It's a very small program, but, you know, and we employ uh, coaches, men and women that are all African-Kenyan, that all come from the same communities that, that the schools that we work with are in. Um, and for most of them, it's their first full-time job. And they are our shop window. They are the stars. They're the heroes. And they are the, the, you know, the advocates of, of, of what we do. But I, I have a deep pride to, of being sort of involved in in this little project and it's very dear to my heart brilliant well Simon thanks so much for joining us on the inaugural Club Cricket Podcast well Winston. Podcast Network.